right. Welcome back to Science in Between. Episode 12. Episode 12. There it is. The dozen, even dozen. The dozen for the dozens of listeners that are out there. That's right. Downloading episode 12 of Science in Between. Six one way, half a dozen the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With the one person who has listened to every episode, they have listened to a dozen. Wow. Yes. And next week will be the Baker's Dozen. Yes. The one you get for free. Yes. With You'll the get dozen. That one for free. Nice. And so uh, uh, I'm Ollie. And I'm Scott. There you go. There you go. And uh, this week, what's the topic, Scott? What did, this you week, we're going to talk about um, questioning and specifically like sort of discourse with kids. So how do, you, how do you talk with kids about their ideas and how do you use questions? And what are the challenges of doing that in, in this uh, time when we're doing everything or partly over Zoom or whatever and starting to think about like, what does it mean to do that? Because it's hard enough to do that in a classroom when you got little groups of kids and you can really get in there with them. But, um, but it's a whole new world now having to, to talk to, you know, to talk around these things. So, so yeah, we thought we'd dig in a little specifically about how do you think about questions um, in science classrooms? Yeah, especially in in this in-between world. And I will say that one of the things in with my, so I'm teaching a bunch of classes this semester, uh, all online and uh, with my undergraduate. So I teach a class with uh, mostly sophomores. And so with that class, it's taught synchronously through Zoom. Um, I meet with my students twice a week. And at this point in the semester, I know them pretty well. well. I know some of them pretty well, but I don't see all of their faces. And getting them, engaging with them in conversations is very, very difficult if it's a whole group conversation. And uh, I find I get the same students who contribute. And then, however, what I find is that if I'm using the breakout rooms and if I, and this is something you and I have talked about before on, on these episodes, is that if we get them into breakout rooms and we give them very specific things to talk about or give them very specific ways of interacting with each other, and if I pop into those discussion you know, groups, those breakout groups, I can hear them all talking, or at least many of them talking. Um, and even students who wouldn't contribute in the big group are contributing in the small group. And so I think that's, um, I know I'm, I'm straying a little bit from, um, you know, the brief today, uh, but yeah. it is, but I think it has, a, it, it sort of gives us a lens as to what, how this is impacting the conversations we're having. We don't have everyone participating in our big groups, but, the, but I think that how we want to try to engage students in this talking of science is still mm-hmm. important, right? We still want to try to yeah. get to, and try to get as close as we can to what is what we know is good good science discourse right yeah and i agree i think one of the challenges of this um environment is that techniques and ways of thinking about getting kids engaged just don't work or don't work the way we expect them to work and because because the the original problem you've characterized obviously is something that we all anybody who's taught a class knows that there's some kids who like to talk and there's some kids that like to talk less and you always are managing that but it becomes a whole different animal when um when you're in these remote environments because kids can really be quiet yeah they can hide um, and just sit and th- and there's no no discomfort from the wait time. We talked about that as well. So so thinking about like, yeah, how do you deal with a situation where wait time is not going to successfully jar anybody loose, um, where they're all just happy to sit there uh, and stare into their camera for as long as you're willing to be silent? 
Yeah, and, and you know, the, one of the things, and this is something that I think I was in one of your classes when, when I learned about like discourse chains, right? Um, you know, IREs versus IRFs and, and you wanna, and so this, just to kind of unpack this a little bit for all of you, is that, you know, so a teacher initiates some sort of, you know, question or some sort of discussion by prompting it. And then you'll get a response, an R from a student. And then the next piece is the critical part in terms of what we do as, as, as teachers. Do we evaluate that response, that E, I-R-E, discourse change or do we you know possibly provide some feedback or some redirection or asking another question or maybe try to pull in somebody else in and so um discourse when we can you know have a lot of chains of ir ir irs or you know those are the things that really you know foster all sorts of questions and all sorts of conversations and really rich conversations and i find that because of the nature of these rooms and these conversations, just hearing any response from a student almost forces the E out of me. It almost forces me like to say, hey, great job or thanks. Or, and it's very hard for me to follow up with a question or redirect it at somebody else because I don't know if that next person is gonna respond or that next person. And I was thinking about this directly this week when I was doing a, a discussion with some students and I was like, I wanted to ask a follow-up question for the entire group and I asked it and it was just like Nothing. silence. Yeah. And so yeah. this, what could have been in a, maybe the classroom environment may have been this really rich discourse chain that might've happened just stopped. Yeah. And, and that's the challenge. Yeah, I, it is. Um, and I think, you know, in my class, part of the reason I wanted to talk about that, this topic this week is in my class on Tuesday, we had a conversation about IRE specifically and, and in the context of this. And, and one of the interesting things that, my, that I was seeing in my students, so I've been watching them in these remote environments, trying to watch them teach and give them feedback about that. So that's, so that's another reason I've been thinking about this. But the IRE pattern, right, that, that you've Describe really nicely right the 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 tricky one of the trickiest things from my students that again that they struggle with in face to face context and it's only become worse in these environments is i we talk about i r e and we say that but we but we sort of tell them you can't evaluate like that's bad evaluation when you evaluate a kid's ideas uh, idea it closes things down like it, yep. it but but the problem is. Um, the alternative is much harder. Like it's really easy to do IRE. Um, they're used to it. It's a pattern they understand. And and the question is, so if you're not going to evaluate it, what do you do? And that I think is the big question is it's not as simple as, okay, well, I'm just not going to evaluate it. So we made, we actually made a list of all the things that they say when they're trying to not evaluate it, but they don't know what to say. Right. And right. they, you know, things like say more about that, or that's an idea or, you know, uh, interesting or right. hmm or whatever you know like there's this whole catalog of stuff that you do as a response when you know you know in your head you're not supposed to evaluate it because it's going to do a disservice to the to the norms of the of the community but you also feel like you got to say something you can't just stand there like an idiot or yeah especially here where it's like they see you and you're just like you know they see you and you're kind of like this blank slate where you're trying to not even give the facial expression of like evaluation, right? right. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've been trying to do is just go, 
responding with like, how so? You know, like to try to get them to unpack it a little bit more as that's a pretty pat response from me or tell me more about that or yeah. or i will because I, I don't want it to be sort of this you know hey i'm i'm giving out pieces of candy for response and those pieces of candy come with ollie's validation right? right and that's the thing i'm trying to avoid however it's i'm so hungry for any student response that i almost feel the need to say thank yeah. you or awesome response or and i know that I know in my brain what that's doing in terms of the discourse, but it's such a hard environment. Well, and, and ultimately, you know, the goal in a really ideal sort of science discourse community classroom thing is that you get out of that altogether, right? So that it's like, I don't have to respond to each individual kid, the kids start talking directly to each other. Yeah. So one of the, one of the transitions I think that's interesting to think about is what are the kinds of questions you can use even in these environments or especially in these environments um, that can begin to, to get kids talking to each other. So, you know, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, okay, I initiate, Ali responds with some idea. And then instead of me <clears throat> pressing or probing or, or pushing on Ali's idea, I say, Hey, other kid, Bob, Bob, tell, tell me what you think of Ali's idea. You know, can you if either agree, disagree or explain it? Right. So so there's no they don't have a like, well, I don't know, it seems like a dumb. Uh, and then you can press Bob a little bit on their idea. And so this this idea of trying to get um, get yourself out of the middle and try and get them responding directly to each other to bid to build up a sense that like when we're having these science talks, the idea is for you guys to talk. Like I'm not going to give you the answers and you guys have lots of stuff to share. So you should be talking to each other. So figuring out what, what are the right kinds of questions um, that you can do that, you know, which are very different again than the traditional pressing and probing and, and things that we would do for an individual kid or a, or a group of kids, because there you're trying to get them to think more and they're already in a small group. As you say, when they're in those small groups, they tend to talk, but even, even in the remote environments, but, but how do you push on that, that yeah. much harder sort of getting them to interact with each other? Yeah, the, the thing I'm, I'm struggling with is whether to just call on students. I mean, in a classroom environment, I think I would have built up sort of that sort of community that that culture in the classroom where I'm trying to engage everybody and they know that I'm not trying to like embarrass them or I'm just trying to get them involved in the conversation. And here in the, in the zoom sphere, um, mm, yeah. see it's rubbing off. It is. I'm making up words. The zoom sphere. Zoom sphere that it's, uh, it's harder for me to do that, to feel comfortable with that, because I don't know if I've set or created the culture in which this, every student would be comfortable with that. And so in a classroom, in a face-to-face -face classroom, I would go, okay, Bob, what do you think about this? Or Sally, what do you think about this? And bring those folks in. Um, and I would, you know, maybe be walking around the room, close, closing the distance between me and them just to feel like, try to create some, some comfort for them. And also to like, you know, to become a participant in the conversation. Whereas here, and I don't know if I would go, Bob, what do you think about that? Whether one, Bob is, you know, listening or, you know, playing on his Nintendo Switch, right? 
Right. But I think that's, I mean, for me, that's part of the point is I think, I think we actually have to be much more, um, because we're in an environment where, where the bandwidth of communication is so low compared to being in a classroom, like it's much harder to read body language. It's much harder to read facial expression. It's much harder to get like somebody's vibe like you can in a classroom. I think my 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 working hypothesis these days is that you actually have to be much more aggressively forcing those interactions by calling on people and telling people they have to respond to each other's ideas because i think I, and i don't know this because i haven't had deep experience but my sense is that you have to much more sort of force that beginning setting up of norms because you can't do it in the same way like you can't you don't have the you can't do that sort of i don't know uh, i don't know what the right word is you know that that sort of serendipitous building of rapport with kids in the same way it has to really be more forced now maybe once you get over the hump you're in better shape um but i think you know the the other piece of evidence that i think follows this is like you saw the differences between what teachers were able to do as they transitioned even very quickly from face-to-face to remote in the spring and now having to start from scratch in, in a remote environment in the fall. And, and the, you can feel it, right? You can feel the rapport is not there. And, and uh, so I do think my, again, my working hypothesis now is that we need to think about the kinds of questions and the kind of discourse moves and talk practices and norms that we have to, use as an initial springboard into what we were used to being able to build up in a, in the way that we've learned how to build up. Now you've been recording these with your students and their students. Have you been viewing these? No, I have not. We no. So we do not, we're not allowed to record in, in the, now there's still some discussion about that. So it's possible that we will, but for now, all we're able to do is I can sit, I sit in the room. I mean, I'm muted with my camera off, so so I'm present. But so you're not. lurking. You're lurking. Yeah, I lurk, and then watch my students. And then what we have is uh, we have a group me um, for me and my students, and then I have little minute like smaller group me's for particular groups of students that are teaching together, so sure. that I can give them feedback in a back channel. Well, because I don't, I don't want to stop the at least for now. I don't want to treat those like rehearsals and stop them in the middle and say, Hey, cause you can't, it's very hard to have a side conversation in a zoom breakout room. Like you can't really, Yeah. Like you, okay. You guys don't pay attention for a second. Cause yeah. Mr. Dran and I are going to talk a minute about the question he just asked. And uh, you know, it's like, you can't do that. So. Well, I will say one of the things that I, I appreciate about when, when we talked about this topic was this was happening. Uh, we were negotiating topics for the week, this right. And and as we were negotiating topics, one of the things that came up in, you know, a discussion forum or like a, a, a Facebook feed, right? A Facebook discussion um, was a bunch of my colleagues were viewing their lessons, watching themselves recorded. They had recorded them themselves in their classes. And the conversations that they were having were not about the questions, were not about the student engagement, but were focused on, you know, you know where the conversation was? I don't think we have a whole lot of overlapping. I'm going to go out on a limb and say classroom management. No, it was, it was on their own verbal tics and their oh, own sure. ums and ahs and their own, you know, the, the filler words that of they course, used. Of course, should so have known. The, yeah. Right. And, and I was thinking about how, 
you know, since you and I are both in uh, teacher education, when we work with new teachers, that the thing that they focus on when they first observe themselves teaching, they, they always will say, I didn't know I stuttered so much, or I didn't know I say ums and ahs. I didn't know I did that. And that's what they focus on. And you're like, I was, was like, I didn't even notice that because I was looking at this other thing. And, and that's the thing I would like that if there's a takeaway from this conversation today, it's let's, let's focus on the discourse. Let's focus on the engagement. Let's focus on how we get productive conversations out of our students that are meaningful and help build, you know, understanding and sense making and all that. And let's spend less time on the, am I saying, um, am I saying, uh, am I saying right? Or, you know, yeah, I mean, it should, it should, in fairness, really be about what are the kids saying? Right. And then as a secondary thing, what do you say in response? But only to see then what further response is elicited from that kid or from other kids in the room. Like your, your, your talk becomes like a functional thing rather than, you know, a, an artistic thing. You're not, we're not going to worry about like how beautifully you said it. We're going to worry about like, okay, you asked him about this. Did that shut him down? Did it, did another kid contribute or did it, did it go off the rails? Did it go beautifully? Like what, what happened there when you asked that question of that kid? Sure. So I think anybody who's made it to episode 12 of Science in Between knows that we're not looking at the, the beautifulness of no. our speech. It's not beautifulness, right? It just no. threw that out there. Yeah. It was ironical. There you go. There you go. Now you're just making up words that other people have made up in the past. So you can't really just, count those. I'm just trying to, you know, meet your uh, level of expertise in making words up. Yeah. Well, you know, you just, you need more practice. I, I, need, I appreciate, I appreciate you. You've been at it longer, my friend. It's a good amateur vision. Are you calling me old? It's a good amateur <laughs> vision of how to make up new words, but you're not, you're not quite, you know. I'm hoping to level up soon. You'll get there soon. I have yeah. confidence in you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mentor you through this process. We'll have a little talk after about the, the beautiful, not beautifulness. Over. No, the beautifulness. It's, it's never over. Never. It's like being a parent. Yes. Um, yeah. We've, I mean, I think. Strayed. It's, we have surprisingly, um, but yeah, so I think, um, I think this idea of how, like, what are the kinds of questions that you ask students? I do think, um, you know, I do think that there has to be a bit more, um, explicitness in the questions that we're using now to get kids to not so much again, not so much probing on their ideas and getting them to be more explicit about their ideas, which is always important. And I think we're not going to lose that. But I think there's this shift away from that for me towards this idea of really making it clear that your idea is only useful for us as a community if everybody understands it. And the only way that that happens is if somebody else in the community is responding to what you said. Mm -hmm. And so my goal as a teacher is to get Ollie and Bob to respond to each other and respond, respond to, you know, so that, so that, that I'm going to, you know, and maybe it's at the point where like we do with other things that we make it explicit. We say, look, my goal is to do this. And so I'm going to force you to do it. Like when Ollie has an idea, I'm going to pick somebody else in the class and they're going to have to talk about Ollie's idea. And we're just going to do that. Even if all you do is restate Ollie's idea. And, and, you know, there are, um, 
there are protocols for this actually in pairs where you can, where you put two kids in and for idea sharing that are designed mostly to, um, to sort of decenter power so that you don't get one kid who just like man, man, man talks the whole time. Right. So this idea of like, okay, I'm going to talk and then Ollie's going to listen. And then after I'm done, Ollie's going to explain his, my idea back to me. And I'm going to say, yes, you've understood me, Ollie. And then you flip roles and then Ollie's going to explain his idea to me. Right. So, so I, I'm wondering, I, and I think that some more of that kind of formalism might be really necessary in these Zoom environments to push kids to start recognizing like, okay, this isn't, when I, because I'm sitting in front of a screen, I'm not, I can't be passive, right? right? Like this is not a passive sitting in front of the screen environment. This is a place where I have to talk. And I do think that, that there is some psychological trigger to that that says like, okay, I'm in front of a screen, I can just sit here and let whatever's going on go on and I don't have to do anything. Yeah. I, I, I always, I, I really appreciate the, like the protocol. That's an area of online learning that, you know, is there are a lot of protocols in online learning, like how to, you know, and I guess the, the, what, what's a working definition of protocol? Cause I see these all the time. Um, yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a pattern of like um, a standard of practice. Yeah. A pattern that you use or a standard of practice that you use for, for accomplishing a particular goal. Right. And so I've seen them for like, you know, how to engage in discussion forums or uh, mm-hmm. I've seen, actually I've been to conferences where people have said, here's the protocol for us and our engagement in this conference session, which are always like really interesting. They, there's that like dissonance at the start of this, the conference where like, hold on, you know, I just came here for this. And then you're seeing, you know, everybody just kind of looking at the protocol and saying, this is what we're going to do today. And then at the end, they're like, oh, this was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think making developing a protocol for discourse in your classroom and making it explicit is something that I think I'm, I'm certainly willing to try. And it's something I, cause I'm seeing at this point where, you know, I can list off like the, out of the, you know, 30 students in this one class, the 12 or 13 that are active participants regularly. And I'm, I'm feeling that I need to hear more of their voices. Uh, And I think that developing a protocol for that, where it's, and maybe it is from that. Maybe it's that, you know, as you, as you say, like, okay, you know, you can at least, you know, restate something, at least that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, where it, it creates this environment where, you know, at least I know they're engaging in some way. They're, you know, right. yeah. At least they're listening to each other enough to be able to repeat back something that another kid said. I mean, the, I'll give you another concrete example, which isn't exactly a protocol, but it's sort of a technique or a, so another thing that we've been using that I, frankly haven't used in years but was reminded by one of my former students about which is popsicle sticks which is the so basically you take uh, tongue depressors are a little easier because they're fatter but no i'm not shaming them they're just wider um so so you get popsicle sticks and you write the names of all your kids on the popsicle sticks and you use those to draw. So you're like, okay, I'm not going to pick on particular kids. I'm just going to pull a popsicle stick out and I'm going to look at it. I'm going to say, oh, okay. So Ollie's name is on this. I'm going to call him. So, um, you know, and I talk about with my students, my pre-service teacher students, like, so this, 
this seems, I mean, superficially, this seems like it's not very sophisticated and in some ways it's not, but you can play with it in a lot of interesting ways, right? Cause you can pull a popsicle stick and then pretend Ollie's name is on there. Cause you want to hear from Ollie and you, but you don't have to make it look like you're intentionally picking Ollie yeah. cause he's not talking. And you can also make, for example, the determination of whether you want to put the popsicle stick back in. So is the, are they back in the mix now in there? So they can't just say, oh, well, he's picked my name so I can go to sleep for the rest of the class. And the other thing that it does that I really liked, and, and one of the reasons I used it when I was um, teaching high school, is it allows you the opportunity to learn kids' names without embarrassing either yourself or the kid by not knowing their name, right? And so this works in a Zoom environment too. So it's a little different now because everybody's name is on the screen. So you don't have to worry about it. But, um, but you, you know, you can pull it out and say, oh, it's Ollie, and you don't have to remember which of the 30 faces on the screen is Ollie, you, you, they're just going to respond. So, um, so I think, you know, thinking through things like that, are there other like little techniques that we can start to think about or, you know, protocols that we can use to, sure. to try to get at these? The goal is still the same set of norms. We've got, a, we've got norms in the classroom that we're trying to accomplish. We want a feeling right? And a set of ways that we do business to get established, but doing that may require different approaches in these environments. So, or, or maybe it doesn't, or maybe oh. it doesn't require completely different norms or practices. Uh, but maybe what it does is- No, it, no. I said that I said the same norms just, right. yeah. Okay. Carry on. Yeah. So, but maybe, maybe what it does is has us you know, because like the strategies you're talking about with those, you know, popsicle sticks, if I, you know, maybe if I was teaching, I, I probably wouldn't have done that in my high school classes, but I certainly did that, something like that when I was teaching middle school. Mm -hmm. And so maybe those strategies are strategies, ones that maybe ones that we would have used for a different context mm -hmm. and that maybe we need to bring some of those back because this is such a, a dissonant space, mm -hmm. right? And so what we have to do is, yeah, so I think I might try the popsicle stick next week. Right, uh, just I might go in with that, even though that's something that I would never do in a undergraduate environment. You know, at least I haven't done it. Um, yeah. But now, since this is a space where I'm really ha struggling to get people involved, um, you know, doing something like that w would be. I think at this point, I'm willing to try anything, right? Uh, yeah, right. And I, I'm, I'm somebody who is, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with the technology, and I'm, I'm com very comfortable with fostering discussions in classroom environments. It's just that because these two things have kind of thrown together and we have so many students who are, who are working in synchronous environments who it's not their chosen environment, right? They're right. sort of being placed into it without it necessarily being something that they want to be doing. I think some of them are, are very resistant. Um, yeah. And so it's how do we come, you know, combat some of that resistance. And I think, yeah, not yeah, to force I mean, them, not to force them, because I, you know, that balance of power, I think, is a, a critical thing to talk about too. But I, I need to get them involved because it's the only way that I'm going to be able to assess. It's the only way I'm going to hear what they are and to to try to help them, you know, with their understanding. It's the only way. Well, and if you take, you know, if you take a sociocultural view on learning, like you need that interaction. Absolutely. Like, like you have to be articulating your ideas to other people and hearing other people as uh, 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 other people's ideas. And that, that sort of um, 
rich ecosystem of ideas and people pushing on them is where real learning value comes from. And so you have to get, you have to figure out a way to get those ideas out there. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about is, is sort of, because I, you know, this idea of like forcing them and, and how do you think about that? One thing I've been doing is, and, and we talked about this as well, like this idea of like assigning roles and you have a reporter. So when people right. go into small groups, they, the person knows in advance, you know, that Scott's going to be the reporter. So when I'm in that small group, I know that when we get back in the large group, I'm going to have to do some talking. But it made me think about like, well, what are some other ways that we might do that in, in ways that sort of force conversation? And that, this I just thought of right now, so I have no idea if it has any merit at all. But I was thinking like, uh, this is going to sound crazy, so you can tell me it's crazy. But the, um, thank you. Um, but it's like, can you set up like the next three speakers? So you say, okay, Ollie's going to say, you know, I'm going to call on Ollie right now because he's got his hand up. But once Ollie's done, Bob is going to respond to that. And then after that, you know, Sarah is going to respond to Bob and Ollie. So Bob and Sarah be prepared because after Ollie talks, you're going to have to respond so that they can, you know, again, it seems like it's really sort of mechanical or mechanistic and forcing, but I wonder if that would start to get them into this habit of like, okay, I have to be prepared to say something about Ali's idea yeah. and know that when I do, I very likely might get asked questions by the teacher because the teacher is, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to press and probe and poke at ideas as they're moving around. Well, I think what it does is it creates sort of explicit expectations for students and rather than just saying okay somebody i'm gonna call on somebody you know the i, I think back to i had a, uh one of the most stressful classes i ever took in in my college uh uh career was a history of physics class and like mm. when i was a junior and so this this it's traditional physics professor this old guy with a big beard would come in he wore the same exact clothes every day so that's important to uh -huh. kind of yeah that's a physics it, thing man it is every, Einstein, he, very yeah. efficient very efficient yeah. and he, yeah. he would come in and he would sit down mm -hmm. and you would he would we would read primary documents primary research articles and uh and then he'd just give you a list of questions and you would just sit there and you never knew who was going to, and it was like, he'd give you the questions ahead of time and you would read them and try to, <clears> you know, answer them. And it's always like, you know, a handful of questions that you had no idea what the answers were. And there were a bunch of us would gather before the class. Did you get question number three? <laughs> and we would all just like, you know, sweat bullets while, while you were going to get number three. <laughs> three. Yeah. And he would yep. just refer to everybody by their last names, Dreon. <laughs> and he would just like, look at and it and, you know, Dreon question three. And you're just like, ah. No, and then, but it was that fear, right? Cause he was just going to walk down the list of questions and he was just going to call on students. And I just remember the fear I felt in that classroom. And I wonder, you know, here we have this environment where we have students who are, you know, maybe uncomfortable with the environment as it begins, even though they're spending lots of time in it, it's not there. It's not feeding their soul, right? It's not feeding yeah. their soul. And it's not the thing that's, you know, really helping them connect to their professors or to their, you know, teachers or to their other students. And, and then we add this other level of expectation on it, which is the unknown of whether they're going to be called on or not. But then if this explicit, 
you know, expectations that you outline where you say, okay, Bob is going to be the next person who's going to, I'm going to call on after Ollie. And then after that, it's going to be Sarah. Do you, you know, kind of uh, reduce some of that stress and some of that anxiety? And I think it, you may. So yeah. as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I think that's a really great idea, Scott. So I'm not going to poo-poo it Thank here. You, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to poo-poo it. So I have, a, I have a question for you. And this is because it kind of relates back to something you said earlier about like those pat responses. Yeah. So I, t I told you that one of them was, uh, you know, for me right now is how so. It's just to try yeah. to follow up, to try to have students unpack their thoughts a little bit more. So what are some of the ones, some of these responses that you have that you, you found effective? Like I, I'm, I, you know, I've been trying like to, to say, okay, uh, what, do, what does everyone else think about this? Or, you know, does anybody disagree? Or, you know, just try to get more people engaged because um, I want to avoid the E, avoid the E. Yeah. Yeah, well, everybody fears the E, right? right. It's, it's the, well, all the right thinking people fear the E. It's the lots of people who don't fear the E. They're really good at the E. Right. right. I mean, what's Newton's third law? Yeah. Yeah. And then no, sorry, that's not Newton's third law. That's Newton's right. first. Yeah, um, I use I use that one all the time because there, there can be no dumber thing to know about physics than which of Newton's laws is which, and right. have them in the right order. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, wait, is inertia the first one or the second one? I always mix it up. Or f I know f equals something is in there, but I can't. Sure. It, 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 anyway, so yeah. So in terms of like, what do I use? I mean. My generic one, if I have a generic one, is like something like say more about that, right? right? So, but I think, you know, what separates the good ones from the bad ones is, is, and this is the thing we also were talking about on Tuesday is like a really good teacher takes that student idea and on the fly diagnoses it, right? Like is, understands like, okay, there's, I have to find the valuable nugget in here, of this idea. And that means either the, the thing that the kid, um, you know, can use as a foundation to build his own under, his or her own understanding out a little bit, or the thing that really contributes right now, uh, value to where the classroom conversation is sure. as we're trying to understand something. So you're, you're, you're sort of taking this idea and saying, okay, how do I think about productively asking a question of this kid that helps them rethink it and plug it in either to their own understanding or into the group understanding in a good way. Now that always has to be much more specific. Like these generic things that we're talking about don't typically work really well for that because say more about that often leads to, you know, I mean more, but not necessarily right. a lot of richness. So yeah. um, restating or yeah. well, what I meant was this and just saying the same thing over and over again exactly. with different words. I, one of the ones I, when I was teaching science, um, one of the ones I really liked is when someone would throw out a word where they thought you knew what it meant. Yeah. And it was sure. like, Oh, well that's just inertia. And, and that in a pat response or in the IRE chain, we'd be like, we got the response we wanted because yeah. the student was Check. giving us the thing that they thought we wanted to hear. And, and I would go, well, I don't know what that means. What do you mean by that? Right. Like is, is to have them define that term and when, and that's a really good way for you to see the students understanding and, and it also, the students are, 
it, it, we almost put them on their heels a little bit because they were just like, well, hold on. That's, that's, that's not the, the, the questioning, yeah. right? <clears throat> that's not the, the culture of this. That's not what school's supposed to be like. I'm sp- you're supposed to ask the question. I give you the response you want. And that's supposed right. to be the end. Yeah. And it's like, and I would say like, well, tell me more about that. I don't know what you mean by that word. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that is another really good pat response or, I mean, that one's, that one's not as pat though, because even though, the way you're stating it is generic. What you're, you know, what you're focusing on isn't generic. So in your case, it had to be about inertia. So explain, okay, wait a minute. I don't really, I'm not sure I understand exactly what you mean by inertia. Can you explain in the context of what we're talking about here, why inertia matters um, and, and why it helps us understand something like, okay, right. So, yeah, I think that's a good one because as you say, that's an easy way for students to gloss, right. That they can say, oh yeah, I got this. You know, I just have to say pH and he's going to leave me alone because pH is the answer. It's the right answer. Or at least that's the unit we're on right now. That's right. I just got to be pH is the answer. I'm looking yeah. in the textbook, textbook, all, I'm looking through all the bolded terms. The one that seems to make the most sense here is, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good one. I mean, you know, as we both know, the truth is that doing this work is really hard and requires a lot of practice. So, right. um, so I think, well, the other thing that we didn't, I'm sorry, this is a weird transition, but, but the other thing that we didn't talk about is the multimodality that is allowed with these online environments. And we've talked about that before, but the idea of like putting it in chat. So saying like, you know, maybe again, going back to this multiple threaded conversation to say, okay, Ali is going to say something here in a minute. I'm going to ask him a question. He's going to answer. I, I'm going to ha- I want the following three people to write a response to that in the chat. And oh, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, to, again, like, using that the fact that the chat is an available channel that um that kids can put their ideas into but forcing that into the mix like to say okay don't forget you can use the chat and put your ideas in there and respond in there and you can't post i agree no that's not a no yeah i mean then you get into the whole thing that's sort of like uh what happens with threaded discussion boards with online learning right which is yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna that's a third rail we're not gonna touch today but yes we'll put a pin in that too yeah, it, it's on the board with Class Dojo. They're like Class Dojo. We have to have that episode and the and the and the draft, the uh, science concept draft. Oh yeah. Oh boy. I, I don't, so here's a story about that. I know this is not on our topic, but I'm going to say, the other day in class, we were having this. We were having in my with my pre-service teachers. We were having a conversation about ambitious science teaching, and one of my students is sort of, you know, as as they do, they push back. They're like, "Well, you know, this all sounds real great, but you know, there's tests in schools, and here's all the reasons why it's going to be hard to do this stuff." And and one of them's like, "I need evidence. Can you send me some papers that prove that this works better?" And so I was like, "Okay, so we're going to take a step back here," and because they were like. The, oh, mitosis was the thing that we were talking about. And so one of the biology people was like, mitosis is like incredibly important for kids to understand. I was like, okay, let's take a step back because I'm pretty sure you're overestimating how important mitosis is. So I sat him down and I said, and because of our conversation, I said, okay, I want everybody to get out their laptops or notebooks or whatever and list the top five things that you want kids to know by the time they graduate high school about science. And that, and they're like, well, wait a minute. Like, is that just in biology? No. I was like, full stop, five most important things that you want your kids to know by the time you graduate 
from high school. And I gave him a while and we, I can send you the list. I took a picture of the list. Did mitosis make the list? Did not, surprisingly. Surprisingly, did not make the list. In fact, as you will not be surprised to hear, um, I, because I didn't stipulate it, um, there I didn't say it had to be a content thing. There were only two content things on the whole list. Everything else was a process-oriented thing. Wow. The, the don't tell con- me that. Don't say, don't say the content. That's that's. I got to tell you one because there's no way it's on either of our top fives. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I won't tell you the other one because it's probably on both our top fives. But, but the 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 one the other one was dimensional analysis, like oh, conversion wow. of units. I was like, okay. That, that's not on my list. It's not no, on my list. And, and the crazy thing is like, I only let one, each student contribute one thing. So this was this student's number one thing. Okay. The, now, in can fairness- I, Can I guess? Can I guess what, what their content area is? I'm going to guess chemistry. That person I, is a- chem- Yes, you would guess that, but you would be wrong, which is crazy, right? I oh. would have guessed chemistry too. Wow. Choose biology. But here's what I think. I think she's one of those people who likes- things you know there's like people who like things everything in their place and a place for everything sure i think that's the kind of person she is and that that kind of person loves dimensional analysis because it lets you figure out like as long as you know the things you know how to figure them out like as all as long as you know the units you know how to get from one thing to another it's like it's i mean for those people it must just be magical i'm not that i'm not those people neither am i uh, although I do like, I do like units. Units are pretty important. Units are great. Yeah. I mean, units are great, but converting from one unit to another is not what gets me out of bed in the morning. Right. And it's not, it's not changing lives. Although it sounds mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the science in between podcast has changed some lives in your classroom, Scott. That's the, this is, it's that's great. Right. It, it, that's awesome. It's bleeding well, out into my real world experience. Ollie. Look at that. Believe it or not. It is awesome. Well, you know, we've strayed a good bit from the uh, original topic, and I think it's yes. probably time for joys. Something joys. bringing joy, uh, you joy this week. I, I have one in queue. If you re- if you need a time, a little moment to think. No, I, I think I think we've established the pattern that Ali goes first and Scott goes second. I think that's well, no, I you, it's there's always this. Oh yeah, I forgot about this part of the no, episode. No. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Then to you go. go. But, then you go no, no. today. Go. But I'll, but I will. Okay, I'll go first, but I'm but I just want to say it's not going to be the thing that I sent you a picture of. Just sure. so we're clear, that okay. that did bring me joy, but I haven't read it yet. I'm saving it. That's like a little piece of joy that I'm I'm putting off, so All that right. will appear at some point. Okay, so the thing that's bringing me joy this week, um, and it's tinged with a little sadness, and I'll explain why. But um, is another podcast. This one's called The Anthropocene Reviewed. Um, so this is John Green, who wrote The Fault in Our Stars. And was also a YouTuber. So he and his brother have a YouTube channel they, um, they've had for a long time. But he started this podcast um, called, as I said, The Anthropocene uh, Reviewed. And just for those of you who don't know, The Anthropocene is, so anthro means human. Um, and po means of. And scene is era, basically. So this is the era of humans. Um, and it's a geological term that has come uh, to mean the, the period in Earth's history where man uh, has made a significant change in, in the Earth, right? So, so it's a fancy name, but what he does is he reviews stuff uh, 
and by stuff, I mean literally everything um, on a five-star scale. And they are just, they're brilliant. They're sort of like Memory Palace in that they're, they've got this little jewel box flavor to them, but they're always two things or almost always two things. But he'll do like the Black Death and Diet Dr. Pepper or Taco Bell and what was, oh, what was one of the moment awesome. Taco Bell. And I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. That sounds awesome. It is it is really genuinely good. And John Green is so talented at this stuff. And his new ones, he just the reason it's tinged with sadness is just the most recent episode was that he's taking a hiatus, that it's been a lot of work. He really loves it, but he's got to do stuff in the house because um, his kids are home and blah, blah. You know, I mean, excuses, whatever, John Green. <laughs> John taking, Green. taking my joy away yeah. from me, whatever, for your life. Um, but I highly recommend it. Very entertaining and, uh, and just, yeah, good stuff. So if you're not listening to our podcast, go off and check out the Anthropocene Reviewed. Is that right? Anthropocene yeah reviewed so um obviously links to all all things are always in show notes so um but uh but yeah we'll have that we'll have that in there but it's yeah it's well worth it so i i will say my joy this week is an app um Mm. one of the things that's really been difficult for me is i've been working i haven't been on campus um more than twice since february so there's uh, but my work hasn't stopped and a lot of the things I need to do are like sign documents and send them back mm-hmm. to people. And, and I've tried a bunch of different ways of doing this, um, you know, with stylus and my iPad and all this thing, all these different things. However, a colleague, an avid science in between listener had uh, recommended the Adobe scan app. And if you're not down with the Adobe scan app, it is awesome. It is a great way of taking, making PDFs with your phone. And it sounds so simple, um, but it is a great app and it's free. And we get absolutely nothing. There's, we have no sponsors. So this, is, uh, this recommendation is complete. Yeah. Don't jinx us. Don't we have jinx no sponsors us. yet. Um, By the time this episode comes out, we may have. Who ads. knows? Um, but the Adobe Scan app is uh, something that's real simple to use. And, and you can you know, email it or airdrop it or share it you know, message it to somebody else. And I've used it so many times in the last, you know, handful of weeks since this person's re- recommended it, that it's just, it's, it brings me joy every time. And I'm like, hey, did you, I'm, I'm like showing it to anybody who'll listen. It's like, hey, have you seen the Adobe Scan app? And, you know, so definitely something bringing me joy only because it works, it works consistently, it works easily and it's free. And those are usually my, you know, standards for an app that I'm going to, use so there you go check 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 all right awesome yeah so episode 12 in the books my friend in the can yeah look at that and uh and we'll see you yeah we'll see you in between in between see ya